Stories connect us as humans. A well-told story can motivate and inspire us. Storytelling is the ultimate superpower. Be The Drop is a weekly podcast that investigates how to tell stories that engage. Join me, Amelia Veal, on our shared journey to become better storytellers. In episode 208 of Be The Drop, Michael Dixon, award-winning speaker who has worked with major organisations the world over, including Google, YouTube, Seek and Telstra, gives us tips for injecting creativity in the workplace. He also provides incredible insight into our innate human capacity to be an everyday creative. This is Michael's version of Be The Drop. Are you starting a podcast? Narrative Marketing delivers a full range of podcast production and training options. Visit narrativemarketing.com.au or hit the link in the show notes for more details. Michael, thank you so much for joining me for our next episode of Be The Drop. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to be here. So we're going to get you started by telling us about your item of significance and that's something that gives us a bit of insight to your journey and your story. My item of significance would have to be that piano that's sitting to my right just behind me. It was the family piano that we got when I was five years old. My parents brought it home and I was like, what is this crazy thing? And I think my dad at the time... Uh, he had had a few lessons as a kid and he could barely play Feralise, you know, the ice cream song. <laughs> when he was doing that, I just was like, what the hell is this thing? I want a part of it. And um, it stayed with us and it's not by no means is it some amazing, incredible, it's just an upright piano. It's not a big name brand or anything, but it just stayed in the family. And then that's something that I built a career out of. I studied jazz. I became a professional musician. I've got rid of this piano twice as I've, uh, three times I've sold everything I own and head off overseas for for an odyssey, you know, of multiple <laughs> years. And it's an item of significance that I am, even, even if I try to give it away, it keeps coming back. It's, it's like a, a boomerang. boomerang piano. I've not yeah. heard of a boomerang piano. They're kind of large. That's a hard one to boomerang. Oh, well, what a beautiful story. And then to go on to build, as you say, music as a career. Tell us a little bit about how you've woven music into what you're doing with leaders and businesses today. Yeah, so music was always uh, what I did, you know, performing and writing and touring and carrying on having a great time and then through mystical dance of choice and chance I like to call it I ended up writing content and then delivering keynotes and leadership programs and facilitating offsites and a whole bunch of stuff in the big end of town but obviously with the background in the arts entertainment sector it just made sense it was a natural progression that I would use that not just the the musicality but the theoretical stuff that underpins music or that underpins improv theater or or drama or art and apply that into how we are at work and the products we design and the way that we are with each other and our teammates, our colleagues, the employee value proposition, whatever it is, are there things that we can learn and draw and repurpose from the arts and bring that in? So yeah, so we I use a band a lot and um, I'm always trying to create atmospheres and experiences because I think people learn a whole lot more when they feel something, when they're moved emotionally and uh, music's just such a powerful way to do that, you know. Yeah, I mean, I talk a lot about storytelling, but music is stories with rhythm and like I completely yeah. know about that feeling yeah. and emotive, you know, and you can listen to songs and cry and or laugh, you know, it really and a good soundtrack to a movie can make 
huge difference. Like, mm-hmm. yes, there's power exactly. in that. It's really incredible that you've then woven that into, as you say, some of these big end of town businesses because mm. often they're slightly conservative and your approach is not conservative. So how does that fit and how did you evolve into that? You just need to take them on the journey with you and say, well, what are the outcomes that you're trying to achieve here? You're trying to engage your people? Cool. So how do you engage them normally? Do you put 500 people in a room, sit them down for nine hours, feed them carbs with no natural light and give one person a microphone on a stage? Is that the most effective way you can do that? (laughs) Maybe we should think differently about this. Okay, so you want why not look at addressing the root cause, which is we just need to get these people feeling more comfortable with each other. We need to get them feeling safe so they can take more risks. Instead of doing that specifically in the work context, why don't we just give them a radical experience that that delivers all of those things that then you can draw that line after and say, hey, you know, this is exactly the same as what happens on a Tuesday morning, you know, or a Thursday afternoon when you're sharing a product update. Like this is, it's the same stuff. You can bring that vibe. And I, and you know, what's fascinating, so a lot of work, I've done a lot of work in, with the accounting industry, uh, a lot in the finance industry, finance professionals, pharmacists, a lot of industries where you would traditionally, stereotypically think, oh, boring, beige, you know, and, and they're, they're suffocating under that narrative more than we are. You know, it's I really feel for them because a lot of the time they, that's it's a narrative that's been thrust upon them. When you give these people the space, when you create an atmosphere that they can step out of that story, magic happens. You know, they unleash. It's like, oh, my God, you mean I have permission to live in a, in a new story, to write, to co-create a new story of who I am, my identity, what this organization could be, what this team could be? then it's like all bets are off mm. and it, it's hair on the back of your neck kind of stuff. Mm. I love it. Yeah, and I love those elements that you're talking about, you know, creating a safe environment where people feel comfortable mm-hmm. and, you know, tap into the human element and that's what you're really, ta- you know, you're really looking at that human in the workforce. And, you know, go- going back, I'm not sure if I even answered your question that effectively, just reflecting, <laughs> how do I get in? Because it can seem quite radical and people might see a footage or, or – you know, a film or or a photo and go, oh, wow, that looks amazing, but that's not us. We can't do that. If you can establish with someone, hey, other people like you have done this. Here's a few logos. Here's a few testimonials. Other organizations similar in size or in a similar industry, they had this. They too thought those things. So just to get them to enough of a place where you can try one thing, it might just be a 60-minute session. It might just be a phone call with the CFO. It, it might anything at all. And then when you've got that moment, give them an experience. Then they'll go, oh, okay, we got to do more of this. Right, let's give him a whole day. Actually, let's do a roadshow. Let's go around the country. Let's, everyone needs this. But until they've had an experience, if it's just in the head and if it's just words and a, a Venn diagram on a whiteboard or whatever else, it doesn't land for people. They've got their neurological pathways are trapped in a particular way of seeing and sensing the world that if you come in and say, oh, let's do this. No, no, I've seen it before. It's not going to work. We're not interested. That's not us. But if you make them, if you can jolt them by hitting them experientially, uh, even if it's in a conversation or if it's in an hour or it's whatever it is, they're much more willing to go, ooh, I don't know what that was, but I think we need more of that. Yeah, and I feel like, we are on that cusp of workforces evolving and moving away from the nine to five and COVID has shaken that up dramatically in a, in a much, I think it's expediated 
hopefully once we can manage and maintain the external environment, we can still bring forward some of this shake-up, some of these open opportunities that we've got. Can I ask you a question? Oh, yeah, do it. I do love you, it. So being who you are and, and quite progressive and, and you're trying to help people, to, you know, guide them on this journey and, and take them where we need to go humanity-wise, what have you learned personally – during COVID and during this whole process where you've, you know, your value set or something that surprised you or something that you've become aware of in your, in the, in the way that you go about your life and your business where you've thought, okay, you know what, that doesn't serve me anymore. And it never did. And not, not just theoretically, I need to stop doing that, but where have you actively stopped or started doing something in your life as a result of COVID? Yeah. Look for me, I think, and it's interesting, you were use the word permission. I think there was a heightened anxiousness, but then there was space. Again, one of the other words you used because clients were like, we can't do marketing. We're not sure that we can even keep our staff on. And it gave me, I think, permission to be more confident in the decisions that of like, well, this is the work that we really are really good at. Because lots of times clients will go, oh, we, we need this and this and this. And you kind of end up doing things because you can, but not necessarily because it's your specialty area, but I have knowledge in those spaces and it can work in. But now I feel like I have more permission and I'm more focused on the areas that are my true skill set and where not only that, but where I deliver true value. But, oh, my gosh, now you've just totally That's amazing. the mic. That's great. <laughs> well done. Oh, well done. Thank you. Now, you've also just recently launched a book. So this one's Everyday Creative. So tell us about Everyday Creative. What What is that and what are your hopes for how it will help people? Going back to narrative and story, like we talked about just before, we all we have quite a dysfunctional relationship with creativity. We all have a story about what it is. Sometimes we, you know, our sister was the creative one or oh, my dad was creative, it's not really me or that's the marketing team or that's whoever else. Uh, but me, oh, not me. I haven't got a creative bone in my body. It's about addressing that very thing and saying, no, you do. I mean, everyone has the same creative capacity and that it's environmental that really shapes whether you express that later in life. Uh, we've got a world, you know, an industrial world, that the residue of the industrial revolution that's really prodded us and, and crushed us into a particular way. But now is the time for you to reclaim and redefine what creativity is to you. So this this book is trying to help people enjoy the journey back to their unique self-expression. And the undertones of the book is, well, you don't have to quit your job and head to India to find yourself to do this. Whatever role you're in right now, whatever job, whether you love it, whether you hate it, it's the perfect platform for you to exercise, to unleash your creativity. You know, a lot of people will think, oh, if only I had more time to be creative. Cool. So how do you get creative about finding more time? Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. If only I had another role where I was free to be more creative. Cool. So how do you think creatively about finding more creativity in the role that you're in? That's what we're doing, whether we realize it or recognize it anyway. This, it's just, it's, I'm trying to democratize creativity and make it essential and, and accessible for every single one of us so that we can all feel the joy. I'm on a sermon now. <laughs> I'm going for it, Amelia. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. I, my four-year-old son, he, you know, the four-year-old expression of creativity is every, you know, it's just constant, constant, constant. It's the curiosity and tapping into that and the why. And look, mm. sometimes I'm like, I can't answer why anymore, but comes naturally and mm. then we go through some process mm -hmm. 
and it becomes challenging. Mm -hmm. There's a guy called George Land. He did a study back in the 60s. It was um, He was one of the guys that helped NASA find the astrophysicists, the most brilliant minds you know, in the US on the planet, to help them get to the moon back in the 60s with JFK. And after that project, he thought, well, he devised the first ever creativity test or um, you know, divergent, convergent thinking. How can we, what, what if I try this on a bunch of kids? You know, it was so effective in, in these adults. He got 1,600 five-year-olds, same test conditions, same test to find these brilliant minds at NASA to get us to the moon in the 60s. The results came back 98% of these five-year-old kids were the same creative genius, the same capacity for innovative thought as these NASA scientists. Whoa, that's interesting. Check back in, same focus group of kids. It's a longitudinal study now, five years later. They're 10. Same kids, same test. Now only 30% of kids are the same creativity. Now they're 15. They're smoking ciggies behind the gym. They're passing on the back seat of the bus. I know you were doing it. <laughs> only 12%. Now it's the same 1,600 kids. They're 30. They've got kids of their own. The results came back. Same test, same kids. 2% were deemed to be creative geniuses. He went on to say, non-creative behavior is learned. So we are taught to be non-creative. We are we have it schooled out of us, the very famous TED Talk. The most watched TED Talk of all time is by a guy called Sir Ken Robinson, who's a profound you know, lead, thought leader in the education space. Your listeners should check him out for sure if they're not already familiar with him, or at least watch his TED Talk, which is, do schools kill creativity? The number one most watched TED Talk of all time. To think that we are all born with this profound biological impulse. And then the world happens, man. People just can't think outside the box. And then add to that smartphones, no natural light, global pandemic, really worrying what are we going to do here? People are afraid to take risks. We're closed off. We're seeing a real polarity in the in the political narrative and and we're just getting stuck in our little thought bubbles, our social feeds, algorithmic driven stuff. Or on the other hand, you've got, okay, now's the time. Like now's the time. Now we know this. We've got the research behind it. We've seen the impact of the last 120 years. We've seen the impact of digital tech now and what that's doing to us and our brains and our kids. We've got a global pandemic. Which way are we going to go here? There's a fork in the road. I know which way I'm going. Yeah. Well, and I get so excited. I see the emotional IQ information that comes out and they're talking about it more. And I know that change is slow in schools and things like that, but I love the idea of an everyday creative. I think it's so important to help us tap back into that five-year-old genius self. Let, mm -hmm. Let's embrace that. That is the key. It's it's an everyday thing. It's not, it's not once a year. We need creatives... The, the lollipop men and women, you know, that are holding the signs on the street when they give a little wave and a bit of personality and flair. That's an everyday creative. You know, the, the barista at the cafe that, that does a funky smiley face on the cof, top of the coffee. It's the, it's the corporate exec, you know, it has a cool email footer and signs off in a funky way. You know, it's like, yeah, bring this stuff every day in the smallest pockets, you know, put magic in the mundane and joy in our jobs and... Let's enjoy our time together. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't have to be wearing fluoro and you know have funky hairstyles and do all this sort of stuff. You can still embrace it every day. I, exactly. I love that concept. Well, Michael, thank you so much. In conclusion, though, can you share with me your mm. be the drop tip? Um, I always like to finish with a tip that sort of talks about what you think is the top way to communicate in a way that motivates and inspires others. So I've been. Really 
recently recording my audio book and, and the producer that was working with me, it was a great reminder. It took me back to when I used to do stuff in theatre. There's, if you are so in what you're saying, like the conviction that you have, like if there's truth in the way that you communicate, it's magnetic. Now you can be vulnerable, you can be confused and it can still be compelling. You can be upset or frustrated and I still want to go with you and I'm still, because it's so authentic and it's so honest, it's real. And it's funny, recording this audio book, you know, naturally, you know, with my background and speaking and all that kind of stuff. I thought I was doing it correctly, but I couldn't help it that I was starting to talk a little bit like this and I was reading my book and it sounded very much like my father. And they were like, okay, cool. So Mike, you've just got to get, you know, right into the words. And the just like the nuance, the subtle distinction of just like being in what I'm trying to say, not trying to sound good or polished, not trying to sound like get clear diction and sound very professional, but what is the intention of what I'm trying to say? And that the, it was night and day listening back, you're like, oh my God, I'm so compelled with version B. Yeah. Because there's truth. So to communicate, I think to communicate effectively, find part of what you're trying to say that really calls to you, that, that lights you up, that you find so, oh, I need to say this. And if you just speak from that place, then we'll come on the journey with you. Fantastic. We'll be creating waterfalls all over the place. Thank you so much for sharing all of those. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that. This is a Narrative Network podcast.